tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Welcome to episode 18 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Episode 18, not episode 918, as my notes say. <laughs> this is a show where we are looking at the Tangent Universe books published by DC Comics. Uh, these were what basically amounts to a series of three books, or three series of books, sorry, that created a brand new universe with new characters, a new backstory, and new adventures with the only starting point being that the main characters had to use an existing DC Comics character's name. This episode, we've reached a milestone, and that we are going to be closing out the second wave of Tangent Books. And we're ending it, much like we ended the first wave, with a book that features an unorthodox team of characters, and written by the man who was the major driving force behind the Tangent line, Dan Jurgens. This time out, we're going to be looking at JLA number one, which finds many of the heroes we've been talking about in the past 17 episodes becoming targets of would-be assassins. Now, the we I've been talking about would be your hosts, including myself, Michael Bradley. How you doing? And my partner, Sean Engel. Hey, everyone. Oh, uh, should I say more? I guess. I thought, hey, everyone, it's great. I thought to have you were back. going to, and then no, I'm I'm horrible about that. Uh, it's it's good to it's good to be back. It's it's amazing to me that we've well, it's not really amazing because it's only going to be 18 issues, but it's amazing that we've covered all these in mm-hmm. the short amount of time, and to have all of them be so consistently good and just well written, had some amazing art throughout it, and really throughout all of the books really not a bad one in the bunch you know i'm again i'm sorry that i'm spoiling ahead a little while but i think this is going to be a nice kind of wrap up to our second wave of the tangent books yeah i it feels a little strange to me to be through all 18 of them and i know 18 episodes of a podcast isn't a great achievement by any means but it just feels strange to have have covered them all uh or at least on notes for all we haven't covered the the last one yet here but yeah it could it could go it could go all bottoms up real quick and we just lose the recording and the internet shuts down and you know the nsa comes in from you know us talking negative about china in the last issue or michelle obama so we could we could be in trouble but let's fingers crossed you hear that clicking? hope we get that 
Is that the is that the wiretap? <laughs> just no, no. That's just Skype acting up. I'm certain <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's not acting up. <laughs> Save us. <laughs> uh, now this is the <laughs> this is the part of the show where we would uh, usually read feedback from you, our our favorite listeners. Uh, but this episode, much like we did in the first or at the end of the first wave, we're going to spend a little time at the end of the show talking about the second wave as a whole. So we're going to hold on to your email and, and website comments for right now. Uh, but keep writing in because we'll pick up with those again in a future episode. And we really do appreciate all of you who have taken time to write in. So, uh, Sean, if you're ready, let's go ahead and knock this one out. All right. This one is is the final issue of the Tangent line proper. This is Tangent Comics, JLA number one. The cover date was September 1998, and the release date was July 29th of 1998, like all the books. Again, cover price $1.95 US and two seventy five Canada, and the title this time out was And Justice for All. Luckily, Al Pacino has nothing to do with this book. The writer was Dan Jurgens. The penciler was Daryl Banks. The inker was Norman Rape, uh, Rapmund. The colorist was Rob Schwager. The letterer was Comicraft. Editor was Eddie Braganza. And special thanks go to Joe Illage. And, of course, once again, Tangent was based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. From secure locations, three shadowy figures discuss the aftermath of the coming of the ultra-humanite. One of the attendees, Shadow Thief, claims that paranormals like the Atom are to blame for this breakdown in society, and he demands that they take action against him. Senator Hollis Mason agrees and asks First Lady Martina Schwartz who's going to take care of this problem. Cut to Washington, D.C., we're about to discover the answer to that question. As the citizen protest in front of the Capitol building, a lone sniper watches from the dome as a lone limo approaches the building. Flanked by men in black suits, the original Adam steps out of the car and prepares to head into Congress to talk about how he can help put the world back together. But before he can enter the Senate halls, the sniper known as the Question fires a single shot and ends the life of the Adam. Stunned, the guards protecting the Atom open fire in the direction the shot came from, but are unable to take down the fleeing assassin. Back at the meeting, Martina confirms that the question has completed his mission of killing the original Atom, and believes that the current Atom won't be able to take retribution since he was taken out of commission during the EMP blast, and now has his hands full with something else. That little something else is a battle against the ultra-humanite, with his fellow Secret Six comrades at his side. Unfortunately, Ultra is poning the team in downtown New Atlantis. This allows Martina to send the other members of the Justice League across the globe to hunt down the other heroes. The question is sent to take to find Green Lantern, Human Target searches for Superman, Vigilante tracks down Batman, and Johnny Double pursues Wonder Woman. However, the attempts on the heroes' lives don't go well, as Superman subdues the Human Target, the question is taken out by Green Lantern resurrecting the original Atom, Batman disables the vigilante, and Wonder Woman talky-talks Johnny Double into submission. After the heroes interrogate the JLAers, they find their secret meeting place in a small town in Missouri, where the heroes eventually all show up at. 
Finding a holographic image projector, the team discovers that Mason, Martina, and Shadow Thief were the ones ultimately behind the attacks, and the Atom destroys the device, disrupting their schemes. Crisis averted, the Quartet, with Green Lantern working all spectre-like from the shadows, decides to join together to fight evil the world over as the new Justice League. And that was the kind of truncated synopsis for the story. No, I don't think it was truncated. I mean, like you said before we started recording, it's a lot of punchy, punchy, run, run. So it's, it's you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there is nothing wrong with the story. There's some good fight sequences. But, you know, in synopsizing it, there's just a lot of there's a lot of scenes where it's the two characters facing off against each other and, yeah. you know, going after each other. Um. I'm going to start off with the positive and that the art is gorgeous. Yes. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, their individual books all had very different art. Um, And I thought that Banks and and Ratman did a a great job of making all the characters work in a shared story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on to the writing or the the, the story itself, I'm kind of, and I don't don't want to sound negative, but I'm, I'm, kind of on two minds about it because on one hand it was a decent ending to the second wave and it was good to see these characters come together but on the other hand it felt a little rushed or like it was maybe something that should have come only after we'd seen a bit more of each of the characters operating independently but I I feel bad holding that against the book because you know clearly they didn't have uh, it wasn't possible to tell six or twelve months of stories with Batman or, or more stories with Superman given that this was a series of one-shots. But on the third hand, I, 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 I kind of feel like that is a valid criticism because they knew the parameters that they were working with when they went into this. So, you know, it, it's not like they got canceled midstream and had to rush the ending, you know. The, the, the creative teams knew that there would be nine individual issues going into it. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it does. The ending does seem not really forced, but it's not really cliched either. It's nice to see that these new characters, and essentially, aside from the Atom and Green Lantern, this new this new team making up the JLA is all based on these new characters that came out in the second wave of the book, mm-hmm. or the second wave of the books. I agree. It does feel kind of truncated. And there should have been more done with it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad story. It just you would have liked to have seen a little bit more with the characters and their development before you get them teamed up in a essentially a team book. Right. Um, I will have to agree. Uh, Daryl Banks on the art, he takes all the character designs, which were very different. Uh, you're exactly right, and all of the books. Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman all had different art styles and different designs, and he's able to meld them together and make them work while not changing up the characters so much that they're unrecognizable from their initial stories. I think that's a credit to Banks as an artist, and he does a great job. And even introducing these these sort of vigilante JLA, which I'd like to call the uh, the extreme justice version of (laughs) of the justice league you know introducing these characters and giving him a little bit of uh backstories is a lot of uh it shows the creative talent of daryl banks in the book right 
But if uh, you want, if you're done with general notes for this, do you want to go ahead and we'll take a break here and then come back with specific notes on the story? That sounds like a great idea. Okay, we will be back here in just a minute. Hi, this is Patrick, and this is my dad. And we record a podcast called Make Dad Read Comics. And to best understand what the podcast is about, explain what we do on the podcast, Dad. Well, my son used to read, well, he still reads comics. He's 30 years old, he reads comics. And he used to read comics back to high school. And I made fun of them. And then one day I was thinking, as he was talking to me, that, you know, when you make fun of something, really, you're showing your ignorance. So perhaps I should actually look at these comics. So he started having me read these comics. Boy, oh boy, they are something different. Are they designed for low light and dumb people? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've learned they're really not designed for low lights and dumb people. But they are frivolous to a large degree. Silliness runs through them. So, if you want to be frivolous and silly but not dumb and low life, please listen to Make Dad Read Comics. You can find us on iTunes. It is Make Dad Read Comics, and he gets a treat for reading comics. I do. <laughs> Every week. Every week. Something good from the pastry shop. Something good from the pastry shop. Bye. This is Mick, and I'm from MickRed.com. I'm launching a new comic podcast starting with Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr.'s run on Superman 32. I'll also be covering the DC Essential graphic novels. Uh, some I've read before, and many will be new to me. I'll cover those as I read them, and I won't reveal any plot details or spoilers until I get to those. Like any MickRed production I'm on, the language will be family-friendly, so head over to MickRed.com now and subscribe to Mick's Super Comic Cast. That's M-I-C-K-R-E-D.com. Talk to you soon. And we are back. So let's go ahead and take a look at the book and starting out with the cover. Hey, hey, Michael. <laughs> do yes. you want to? Yes, Sean. Do you know what time it is? Guess what time it is. Tell me what time it is. It's the nineties. <laughs> yeah, these were all. Very, that was like my number one note for the cover is that these were all designed in the nineties, weren't they? Yes, all of these characters have so much of the stylistic design of the '90s that it's that if you look at this and think that it might have been published, you know, around the time where Rob Liefeld and the Image stuff was coming around, you you'd be you'd be surprised that it wasn't. But I think having Daryl Banks on it makes it stand out from that it doesn't look bad 90s it looks good 90s and despite that you've got shoulder pads and berets and these face masks that come up and cover your eyeballs and uh, you know for an assassin or for a hitman yeah yes and 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 ridiculous guns with double barrels that shoot lasers all of these all of these design elements on this cover should just scream 90s excess and to some extent they do, but they don't make me not want to look at this book. And I think that's a credit to Daryl Banks that he's come in and designed all these characters. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any of them per se, but they are very 90s-ish. And if you keep that in mind, you know, they're just of their time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I said, if you're wanting to do 
good 90s art. I don't think you could find someone better than Daryl Banks to do that. I mean, I, I, I hold his uh, original artwork in the starting stage of the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern run as some of the best out there. Uh, and his art design came specifically from that era of the 90s where this kind of excess came out. And you look at the original Kyle Rayner Green Lantern costume with the gauntlets and the crab mask and everything, and you you automatically think to that 90s excess idea, but it's done well here rather than Rob Liefeld and his Captain America with yes. incredible pectoral muscles. <laughs> I also like that... Uh... What's his name? The red guy with the armor. Oh, that's uh, the question. Okay, the question, yeah. is shooting the, the DC bullet. <laughs> I didn't uh, even notice that. That works, yeah. But turning inside, um, this this opening sequence here, I was a little lost with the protests and the ultra-humanites troops. It, it feels like that there was a jump in time or something, because the last we saw the ultra-humanite, he had just emerged from, or had just been born or created however you want to say it yeah i i was kind of confused what these i thought these might have been firestorm troopers but uh they're ultra humanite troops so why are they guarding you know essentially the halls of the senate in washington dc because the ultra has the ultra humanite basically taken over the world and now these ultra humanite troopers are taking over washington dc as well that's and, and, that, and what good is protesting? You, how do you protest a, an elemental force? You know, it's like ex- old men exactly. the clouds. But <laughs> well, it worked in the Hulk movie. Well, I mean, you know, the Hulk screaming on oh, best not said about that. Yeah, this this page did kind of confuse me. Why are these people protesting? Who are these characters? Why are they dressed like you know firestorm troopers? <laughs> it it and yeah. But on a more positive note, I, I did really like how the story opens by bringing in the Shadow Thief and Senator Manson, or Mason, yes. whichever it is, and, and Martina and the Atom, all characters from those earliest world-building issues, because in a sense, it's kind of bringing things full circle back to where they started. Yeah, because we had Shadow Thief being the main antagonist against uh, the Atom in the first book. Mm-hmm. We had Martina, who was in the Metal Men books specifically but also showed up in the Adam as the president's wife and plus we had Hollis Mason who was the character who had the you know who was essentially the one who killed Captain Comet Edward or, Mason. You know, the, yeah Edward Hollis Mason's from the oh, Hollis oh okay yeah Edward Mason Hollis yeah that's odd I wonder why I thought well that's just by scattered memory but yeah <laughs> but we've got those characters coming back and them also being sort of this force behind this, the, the, we get more just double dealing throughout this book, and the fact that the president's wife is also part of this other shadowy conspiracy mm-hmm. just makes it layers upon layers of this very conspiracy heavy storyline that everyone's playing against each other, and it really makes it an interesting tale. Yeah. Did you notice this one? Pro- <laughs> These protesters are ridiculous. We have ultra inhumane, ultra fascism, and then this woman here. You're no Jack Kennedy. Maybe this came out around that time where oh, who was it? I want to say, I want to say it was the vice president who uh, commented. This, and it's not the vice. Uh, 
what's his name? God, I'm so bad on politics. The vice president at the current time. Right. The, the current Yeah, Joe president? Biden. Joe Biden. Okay. Joe yeah. Biden said to uh, – <laughs> I think he was in a debate with a political co- – with a, with a Republican candidate, and he, he made the comment, you know, I knew Jack Kennedy – you know, I was friends with Jack Kennedy. You sure or no Jack Kennedy, something like that. No, that wasn't Biden. That was um, Michael Dukakis's running. Oh, okay. From the from the late eighties. Oh, oh. Old guy, white hair. Well, I guess old guy, gray hair describes a lot of people in Washington. But um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a podcast where you. Should- think we're going to know anything about uh, ancient, well not ancient, but older political facts. Political hey. lines, the Washington D.C. Universe podcast. <laughs> we're lucky if we're able to recall things you know, from the current comics. Yeah. Hollis Mason. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, page four. How does the question target <laughs> people <laughs> looking through the little metallic ice lid on his face I don't know <laughs> you know I love I love Banks's character design like I said it's very 90s but that makes no sense to me because that's not where his eyes would be anyway yeah this should be it should be up around his that looks like it's up around his forehead because the, <laughs> the two little things maybe he doesn't have eyes and he's maybe that Maybe that's the question. I see what you did. I don't know. <laughs> Best not thought about. Yeah. Um, pages, or, yeah, page five and over to six. I, I want to say that it's a cheat to kill the Atom, only to bring it back to life later. But looking at this as the beginning of a, of a series or a new title, theoretically it's the Green Lantern who ends up being part of the team rather than the Atom. So... You know, and, and he would only be around until he fulfilled his last mission, or, or however they put it. So, again, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, where the fault I'm finding is more about the constraints of the way this is set up rather than the concept itself. Yeah, and it makes sense that the Green Lantern would be on the team that <clears throat> after the Atom did fulfill his mission, that would put in a rotating member, a rotating member of the team, right. that you didn't necessarily have to have the Atom there. For every episode or for every issue, you could have the Green Lantern bring in another character. And right now, the, the people, the the members of the team at the end of the thing don't really know that the Green Lantern is a part of all this. They just know that the Atom is here and he's come back from the dead. I'm certain they could suss it out by the end of the story, but they don't specifically know that she's part of the team. Maybe he's not using the scope. Well, no, because the, the previous page shows the scope. Well, but if you look on the if you look at the bottom of this, you see sort of Iron Man type uh, digital things going on. You've got the half circle yeah. here and the manual auto auto acquisition thing on. So maybe he's just putting it up to his temple, and his little cybernetic metal faceplate thing is working for him. Yeah, I do like on this page. However, once again, the Men in Black that are helping out the Atom Nightwing symbols on mm-hmm. there. So, again, Nightwing is omnipresent everywhere. Well, if, that, people, if people don't know that, about Nightwing, they must think that little uh, bird symbol is just a really popular fashion trend. Yeah. I'm wondering, 
Uh, yeah, maybe they've got that. Maybe they've got that selling that at Hot Topic or something, and everyone picks that up. <laughs> yeah, but even on page six, well, on page six, it looks like it might be a little lower on his forehead, but he's still holding it up to that slat on his face shield thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm, whatever. Uh, page seven. I really like the final panel here, where Martina refers to them as superiors rather than metahumans or superheroes or whatever. It's just a different spin on it for this different universe. Yeah, I think earlier in the books, I think they were called paranormals, if I recall, something to that effect. Oh, oh, it was in the very first Metal Men, or no, 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 no. I think it was in the Adam book. Yeah, because I think I even commented on that. Yeah, that they they didn't call them metahumans, they didn't call them superheroes. I think it was paranormals. That could be... Paranormals. Yeah, it was in the Adam issue. Yeah. Um, Good memory. Let's see. That's surprising because that usually didn't happen. Um, The next page, my gosh, (laughs) this is an awesome, awesome two page splash. Everyone looks good here. The ultra. Now, I'm not certain. They mentioned in the back that Daryl Banks designed the ultra humanite i don't know if he specifically designed it because we saw the image of the ultra humanite from that nightwing night force thing but the ultra humanite just looks great here yes. all the characters on this page the adam just with his costume all torn up uh, and you know and leah hanging from the light post you've got all the characters here joker slumped over this pile of rubble as well as ban hunter the plastic man over in the court it's just mm-hmm. oh this is a sp- Spectacular, and then you, you've got that caption—the sort of uh, accentuated, uh, the accentuated uh, word balloon of the Adam yelling "never" yeah. at the Ultra Humanite as he's charging towards him. It's yeah. just glorious. It's, it's a beautifully drawn page, and it's really fun to see all these characters come together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the Secret Six, so we've seen it before, but uh, I just love it. Yeah, and to, to just to see them all taken down, especially you know, you can understand maybe the Joker and Manhunter because they're normal. You well, you assume that they're normal, that they're just skilled humans. Right. You've got people like Plastic Man and the Flash that are metahumans that have these amazing abilities that are taken out, and I'm glad that the in the final end, it's essentially the Superman analog who's facing off against the ultra humanite and mm-hmm. the Adam taking him down. It's great. Oh, and there's the specter too in the top panel. Yeah. The specter uh, trying to see. Oh yeah. And that, and that panel over there, the specter tries to, to take him down as right. well. But Oh, this is just, these two pages are just glorious to look at. Mars does a great job drawing all these characters. Uh, moving on to page 10. Is it just me or do these four, uh, new characters whose powers seem to be, you know, they have guns, armor, swords, and, and holograms, seem woefully insufficient to take out two beings with godlike power, an ancient knight with mystic armor, and an enigmatic spirit who can uh, summon the dead. Yeah, they really do. It's it's kind of it is it is bringing essentially a knife to a gunfight. These. <laughs> And, and and the characters are so woefully underdeveloped, underdeveloped that you do kind of feel bad for them, especially, yeah, yeah. 
uh, there's I don't think there's anything more that can say. These these people are cannon fodder, unfortunately. Yeah. And maybe that's why they weren't really that developed because they're not meant to pose any real threat to these characters. Right. So, yeah. I like the idea though. I mean, you know, not not to sound completely negative. I like the idea of this cabal trying to take out the supers. Well, it's so. it's an interesting idea that the government has or a secret shadowy part of the government is watching these superheroes emerge and concerned about them and trying to lead a task force to take them out. This is sort of along the lines, well, not really along the lines of um you know, not a checkmate or um the suicide squad or anything like that, but it right. it does kind of hold that idea that there's a group of anti-heroes who are working to try and deal with these metahumans or these paranormals because there's a fear of them. Right. Yeah. Now, I really don't have much to say on the next six or seven pages. Just It's just a lot of fighting. Yeah, same, same here. Uh, I've got a note on here on page 11. Superman, essentially what we would think would be the most powerful being in the tangent universe is just sitting and chillaxing in his home, watching TV mm-hmm. with his wife. That just seems kind of, it seems out of place that he's not out there doing anything, but you know, maybe he's just biding his time. Uh, I've got on page 14, I guess the vigilante and the question are brothers. Supposedly. I don't know. Where, what, I'm sorry, what page? 17? Uh, uh, page 14. Oh, 14. Yeah. Yeah, he mentions that uh, the question is the vigilante's big brother. So yes. I guess I guess the uh, the question got the cool face armor and uh, vigilante <laughs> got the lightsaber. So. <laughs> you know, and, and the 3D glasses. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, they are 3D glasses. I noticed one's red and one's blue. <laughs> and one is round and one is square because yes. 90s? It's the nineties. <laughs> um, I do like the uh, I do like the art uh, for the Batman here on page fourteen. I think uh, it's a nice uh, Banks. Does, like you said at the beginning, Banks does a nice job of taking all these sort of diverse styles and melding them together, and not detracting from the art styles in the original books, mixing them together and making them his own, and not messing with them all that much. Yeah, it all looks good. Um, where's the next one? Uh, page sixteen is where my next note is. That's I understand that this is a way to bring both Green Lantern and Adam into the book by allowing him to get killed and then having Green Lantern bring him back. But yeah, it does feel it does feel kind of slight that they decide to do this. It it, it feel it doesn't feel like a cheat, but it feels that this was specifically played out. They assassinated him in order to bring Green Lantern in the book because they wanted to bring the Atom back. Right. So, and I'm uh, not sure how they would have worked Green Lantern into it without having her resurrect someone. Exactly. After that, I really don't have anything until about page 20. Um, okay. Well, page 19, I like the shot of Superman descending outside of the armory. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like Superman's design, the whole very Asian mystical robes 
I, I, that, that, that's one of the things that I liked about the final design of Superman in the book. Mm-hmm. And then we get to page 20. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't consider these characters to be as close a parallels to their regular DCU counterparts as, say, like the Earth 2 versions. But I still had a, a small geek moment when, when Superman and Batman came together. Mm-hmm. Because it's Superman and Batman, and in any reality, that's cool. Yes, I, I, I really, I really like it as well. I like that there's a, a sort of callback to the regular DC universe continuity, where in that second panel on this page, uh, Superman talks to the Batman and says, "You're not a telepath, and why am not a, and why am I not able to read you easily?" And Batman replies, "Magic," and it's 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 a nice thing here that. Magic also affects Superman in the Tangent oh. universe as well as it does in the regular DC. Universe. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, and then of course you know we get the uh, we get the triumvirate with uh, Wonder Woman coming in as well. So we've got yes. essentially the Trinity standing mm-hmm. here, which is nice. Yeah, and we we get a little call out to World's Finest as well, a World's Finest pun, which was I'm glad they were able to work that in because it has such meaning for Superman and Batman. Yes, Dis, you know, and even though we've already got world's finest in this universe, it was nice that they could at least reference that when these two characters finally come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, my last notes on page twenty-three. Do you have anything until no, that? No, not really. I mean, I feel like I didn't really have a lot to say about this issue, but you know, a lot of fighting and yeah, you know. it was it was a it was an okay story. It was a lot of like I said, punchy, punchy, run, run. Um, I am glad that when these heroes did meet up and they all came to the same place, there wasn't a big – and it may, have been, it may have been because of the constraints of time and the story that they couldn't have a big rough up or scuffle that they all just met up and said, okay, why are you here? Why are you here? We're here to do the right thing. And there didn't need to be that trope of when the heroes meet up, they first have to fight and then they have to – and then after they fight for a while, they get on. I'm glad that we didn't have to do that. But uh, you know, the ending where we get the actual sort of analog to the DC Universe Justice League, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was uh, it was a happy coincidence because when I saw JLA and I saw all these characters, I had no idea who they were on the cover. I was like, this is the JLA. I don't know if I'm going to be okay with it. And in the end of the book, it's essentially – the JLA, the tangent version JLA of the DC universe. You've got Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, the Atom, and Green Lantern. Yep. I mean, it's not specifically the exact analog of the JLA, but it's pretty darn close for the tangent universe. So I, I'm, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Let me ask you this: How do you feel that this issue dealt? How do, how do you feel that this issue is what it is, rather than dealing with the Ultra Humanite? I was kind of disappointed. Uh, it was nice to see, like I said, that two-page splash where we see the Secret Six effe- effectively taking on the Ultra Humanite mm-hmm. was really nice. But the fact that there was no real resolution to this ultimate destructive force was kind of a disappointment. I would have liked to have seen some sort of resolution because we saw, what, three of the members of the Doom Patrol. Uh, we saw, what, Rampage... Firehawk and uh, Star Sapphire get sucked into the matrix of the uh, Ultra Humanite. You saw, <clears throat> you saw Powell didn't, uh, or not Powell, but you saw um, 
uh, Gravedigger get yeah. pulled into there as well. Yeah. So how did Gravedigger end up in the, you know, I guess we didn't discuss that last time in the Power Girl. How did Gravedigger, you know, obviously that must have happened before the Ultram Humanite thing happened. So, Well, that's actually something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but we can talk about it now. The, the first wave, when we covered these, we, we covered them in the order that they are in trades. And the first wave read pretty well um, in the order we covered them, covered them in. But the second wave, I kind of feel like there, there was a better reading order that, that, than the order they were included in the trades. Because Power Girl was referenced in, um, I think it was Nightwing Night Force. Mm-hmm. But we read Power Girl after the Nightwing book, but it comes before it. And then even the other books, you know, the the, uh, the Ultra Humanite came out in... Yeah, he was born in Night Force, but we covered, like, Superman and Joker's Wild and Batman and I think Trials of the Flash all before that one. No, and they were... And but they, they were all take place before. It's just weird. I think I think Trials of the Flash had to take take place before the Ultra Humanite because things were still going on. But oh right, right. right. But uh, they but, mentioned but still, yeah, yeah. Th- th- there were their film. The second wave felt a bit disjointed. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like it had, especially if that's the reading order that they had in the trade. It felt like there wasn't necessarily the streamlined through line that they had for the first wave of books. And maybe that's because this one might not have been specifically as planned out as the first one. Maybe it was just we had such a great success with this fifth week event for the first tangent one. Dan, do you want to do a second one? And he was like, uh, sure, let me uh, get some people. Hold on. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily as planned out as the first one. So, But I think overall, I mean – Obviously, the second wave, as a whole, was weaker than the first. Um, I think several of the books suffered from—I don't know if pacing issues is the right term—but we, we, you know, we had a couple that felt like they needed more space, and a couple that felt like they were kind of padded out. But again, like the first wave, they, the, while there were certainly some books that were better than others, there, there wasn't really a bad book in the bunch. Yeah, for for my estimation. The only one that I was really negative on, well, I wouldn't, and it wasn't even negative necessarily, was the uh, the Batman book. It just was kind of a a slow open to the new storyline. Yeah, Bat Superman was spectacular. Yes. Nightwing, Night Force, good. Joker's wild, outstanding. Trials of the Flash, Tales of Green Lantern. Uh, the only ones that uh, didn't really stand out for me in this the second run of the books were the Batman and the Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's not that they were bad. It's just, they weren't as good as some of the other stuff. Right. I like that. We, I do like that. We got a mix of new concepts in this wave, along with revisiting some of the first wave. Mm-hmm. And I liked how they were able to tie in or sort of maybe sneak in elements of the first wave of the books that they couldn't give specific books to, like having the Doom Patrol show up in Nightwing Night Force, or having, uh, in Trials of the Flash, having that sort of be a stealth Secret Six uh, storyline. It's nice that that they showed that uh, things are still continuing on in this universe, even though if they aren't able to tell specific books 
have specific books with stories of those characters in them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and on that kind of subject matter of, of revisiting things, I, I was impressed that of the four that revisited concepts, like directly revisited concepts, Nightwing, The Flash, The Joker, and Green Lantern, I thought Nightwing and The Flash were actually better in their second outings. Um, and Joker and Green Lantern were maybe not as good, but certainly not in any way a huge step down either. No, the, you know the only the only thing I could say about the Joker one because the story was just as good as the oh, first yeah. Joker one. Yeah. It's just that I just thought the artwork by Matt Haley in the first one was just a little bit superior or a little bit better. And that's not saying anything negative about the artwork for the Joker's wild. That was really good. It's just, I was just so impressed with Haley's artwork in the first one that it's like, it's like you've got a really good steak and then you've just got an average steak. They're both really good. (laughs) And I'm saying steak. Yes. Cause it's still steak. Doesn't matter. It, um, if yeah. You, if you could pick just the one issue, which from your second or from the second wave was your favorite? That's a real toss up. I really love the Trials of the Flash specifically cuz the Pelletier artwork and it just was so fun. I'd have to say the superior one was actually Superman. I really would. I thought that was a great blending. Uh Jackson Geis's art was amazing. The story was compelling. It had drama. It had a bit of humor. Uh, it was it was a one and done. You didn't have to know anything more about the Superman character. I, I would I would probably have to put the Superman one at the top. Same here. Um, it, it's my favorite from the line period, and I, I love the story. The art is beautiful, and uh, it's just a great book. Um, and like you said, you know, it you, you can hand that to someone who hasn't read the other 17 books, and they can get a complete story out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, you know, again, I think The Joker was a really, really strong book, and surprisingly, The Flash. I get, as, as hard as we were on that first issue, you know... Um, well, and again, I, I attributed a lot specifically to Paul, Tele, Paul Pelletier's art yes. over Gary Frank's. Gary Frank's hyper-realism isn't what the flash needs it needs that sort of airy cartoony stylized style that paul pelletier can pull off especially with the cheesecake type feel of it yeah if you're gonna do cheesecake in a comic book or an animated style you don't want it to be too realistic otherwise it gets creepy and pelletier was able to pull that off in a way that i think just completely worked for the character Mm -hmm. and plus limiting the sort of goofy slapstick which i think was one of the things that detracted from the first flash issue helped with the book as well right so yeah not a bad episode or not a bad issue in the second run either some that weren't as superior as the others but so far this has been just an amazing run of books and you know i've got to say credit to dan jurgens for coming up with the concept and getting all this together and even though in the second run it didn't have as cohesive a feel as the first one it was still an engaging bunch of stories hopefully we can keep that same level of enthusiasm as we move into superman's reign i 
I read Superman's Ring when it was published, as it was coming out, but I haven't read it since. So I don't, and it came out in 2008, I think, so it's been so it's almost years. Well, and that's almost a decade after you know this run of books came yeah. out, so there's a lot of time going on between that. We don't know how the characters developed. And, you know, I know that it's Ron Mars comes back for for writing some of the stuff. Yeah, um, Jurgens. Each issue has like a four or five page backup story, and Jurgens does the main story, and then Ron Mars does the backup. Okay, in, in so, issue, so so at least you've got two writers who came out with you know what I think we consider for the first run of books some of the seminal issues, the Adam mm-hmm. issue and the the Middleman issue, writing on the book. You know, despite the fact that they don't have uh, that, that this is going to be a cohesive storyline, sort of a twelve issue, I guess, sort of maxi series, if you want to use the Marvel idea of it, that they're going to do for this may make it interesting. Like I said, I haven't read these yet. I'm looking forward to reading them, and I'm I'm looking forward to to going where we are uh, before into covering some of the stuff that we're going to be going into uh, before we get to the Superman's reign. Yes. And that's a good, I guess, segue into to, to, to telling the folks what we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks. Um, before we get into Superman's reign, there are a couple issues we need to talk about that kind of segue into uh, or, or, or act as, I guess, preludes to Superman's reign. So in the next month or so, we're going to spend an episode or maybe two, probably just one, though. Yeah. Talking about just one? Yeah, I think we can make okay. it in just one. Yeah, okay. So we'll spend an, ep- an episode talking about those, and we're also going to take an episode off or, or a week off just as a break between the waves like we did between the first and second waves. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We, I know I'm really uh, appreciative of all the support the show has gotten, and we talk about this a lot, but it really does mean a lot hearing from folks that have written in and even folks that haven't, you know, like I said, I think last episode, I'm really impressed with the amount of people that have written in and said, hey, I never read these books. I overlooked them when they came out the first time. But now that I heard you guys talk about them, I'm interested and I like the show. So I, I really like hearing that kind of stuff. So uh, Yeah, same here. It's, you know, and, and not only the the emails and the posts that we get on greatcrypton.com, but we get Facebook uh, messages as well. Mm-hmm. We had people posting on and liking our stuff on Facebook. So it's we really appreciate all of you coming to the show, listening, participating in every way. It just, like we both said before, podcasting is a lonely job and getting feedback of any kind just makes us want to do this more. So thank you all so much for, for, for all that you do. Yep. So you got anything else? Um, just that we're just fingers crossed. We're still hoping for that interview. We haven't heard anything specific. Now, to pull the curtain back, we are podcast. We are recording this a bit ahead of time, so things might show up prior to this show posting that may allow us to get this interview. But we're still looking. We're still looking into it. So, yeah. hopefully, that'll turn out. But wave two is over. So, let the rain begin. Exactly. Well, everyone, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for writing in. We really, really appreciate it. And we will be back in a few weeks talking about some stories coming up. And then it's on to Superman's reign. So thanks, everyone, for... Oh, do you want to take us out? I don't no, go know. ahead. I was, okay. No, sorry. 
Okay, I will take us out with the comment. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines, and if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the name.